Welcome to episode 3 of the Wilderness Medic podcast. My name is Daniel and today I am really excited to be talking to Mr. Burge Langdana um, about the uh, dark arts of expedition dentistry. Burge is the founder of Wilderness Expedition Dentistry and you can find them online at www.wildernessdentistry.com. He is also a tutor on the International Diploma in Expedition and Wilderness Medicine up at the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons in Glasgow. Um, he also teaches on the Masters in Extreme Medicine at the University of Exeter. Um, he has a huge range of experience, um, has practiced dentistry in some really exciting places and I'm really pleased that he is uh, able to be on this episode. In the future, he is also due to be contributing to the next edition of the um, Oxford Handbook in uh, Wilderness um, wilderness Medicine. And now we're going to have a whistle-stop tour on how to look after our teeth and the teeth of our expedition members. Welcome to the Wilderness Medic Podcast. Check out our website at www.thewildernessmedic.com. Medicine blog and much more. So, hi, Burge. Thanks very much for joining me on what is episode three of of uh, the podcast. Yeah, Daniel, it's great to be here chatting to you. Yes, and well done on uh, your recent. Was it a marathon or an ultra marathon? It was supposed to be an ultra marathon, but it ended at marathon level. It was like too cold, so I decided to chicken out in the last six miles. Well, I think that's still a pretty good effort, isn't it? I mean, I've I've not run any anything, so I, I'm full of admiration for people who do these sorts of things. I remember you running up to the top of Arthur's seat. Was it every day at the WEM conference? Yeah, or? wasn't it such a brilliant conference? It was such a busy place. Yeah, it was it was excellent. I would hope to try and record this then, but uh, fates have sort of been trying to stop us from from recording this episode one way or another, I think. Yeah, it was it was incredibly busy. It was like a hive of networking in that in that place. So it was it was a lovely conference, thoroughly enjoyed it. But yeah, as usual, we both were like really busy doing other things. Indeed. Yeah, no, I've got a good list of um of people for ne- for future episodes. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's excellent. Really so it's great to have a chat about sort of expedition dentistry because it's something that you're sort of a bit of a, a master of with the with the dark arts of expedition dentistry. Did you always want to want to be a dentist? Yeah, since I was a kid, I was fascinated with teeth. Like I ke- I come from a medical family. Like my great grandfather was a doctor, but I think I broke the mold in being the first dentist in the family and probably the last dentist in the family also. But yeah, I was just fascinated with teeth from the start. And yeah, it's a lovely job. It's it's a it's a fascinating job. And it's you you're constantly doing things with your hands. So it's good fun. Mm, and it's taken you to a lot of uh of exciting exciting places, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so did you did your training was it in India where you did your training? Yeah, I did my bachelor's in India, my master's in Maxfax in India. Then I did a fellowship in head and neck oncology in India. And then I got the travel bug and decided to leave India and then went to Oman, Jordan, UK, Malawi, New Zealand, Antarctic a bit in between, and then back here. So it certainly sounds eventful and it would be great to, to go in, in depth into some of those some of those things that you've that you've been doing. So what what sort of thing were you doing in, in Jordan and Oman? Because I think that was that what 
what you were doing to start with. Yeah, so I, uh, I joined up in the Ministry of Health and Defense in, uh, in uh, Oman, and I got a job as a dentist with a specialized interest in surgery and was a fascinating place to work. The people were incredibly friendly, and it's so beautiful. I mean, there was a posting in Musandam, and everyone was using their contacts not to go. I was using my contacts to go. It's like the most beautiful place ever. It's across the Straits of Hormuz. And yeah, it's a fascinating place. It's beautiful people to work with. And from there, I did my fellowships for as a part of my part, one of the fellowships I had to go to Jordan. So that's how I landed up in Jordan. Okay. And were you, was this sort of based in hospitals or were you sort of starting to get the expedition dentistry bug at this point as well? No, I got my expedition dentistry bug sort of in India, like throughout our academic career. The staff there used to encourage us to go and work in dental camps to be proactive in organizing and traveling to the villages and actually doing some work there. And they were incredibly encouraging. We found it very satisfying. And it was like uh, satisfying for both the patients and for us. We both got a lot out of it. So I got my travel bug there and the, the roots of working in rural dental settings started off in India. Oman was quite nice. The, their rural hospitals were quite well equipped. Uh, but mm. yeah, yeah. So it was more in India than in Oman. Yeah, sure. And I suppose the pathology that you'd be seeing there in, in more rural places, was, was, was that quite different to to what you were seeing in, in other countries that you've since worked in, do you think? Or? Yeah, it's been different, radically different in so many different countries. Like what you see in Malawi, where I basically did more MaxFax than dentistry, was quite different from what I dealt with in Oman. Um, and also the environment which you work also changes um, and also the degree of teaching changes, the enthusiasm of your individuals who, who you are teaching, both in Oman and Malawi was different. There were the different strong points and different interests, but interesting, fascinating jobs. Like I would strongly encourage individuals to travel and work in different areas. That's the best way to see a country. Yeah, and I think as as well, it also gives you lots of skills to bring bring back to to um, to the UK, particularly for for young um, young medics or, or dentists who, who are listening. Um, Absolutely. So I suppose, what kind of advice do you have for non dentists if if they're sort of going on an expedition? I don't know. It could be for weeks. It could be for a few months. In terms of um, from a dental point of view, what they what they should be doing. I think for a non-dentist going on an expedition as a medic, you've you got to understand and accept that dentistry is not your strong point. So the best thing to do is to prevent getting any dental problems on an expedition. And you've got to understand that nearly 16% of average medivacs are caused by dental issues. So if you reduce the number, you save yourself so much of a hassle. So being proactive yeah. in preventing stuff would be the first thing, like being making sure that the participants who's going on an expedition actually go for a dental checkup, 
not the day before they go on an expedition, but at least like a couple of months before so that the dentist has time to do things like a root canal treatment or extractions at that particular period of time, giving, gives them enough safety time to do that. Also, just to make sure that the participants and yourself take the right toothpaste because the toothpaste are medicines in their own right. So if you're going for a wintry expedition, like you're going to base camp or climbing some nifty peaks, um, it's a good idea to start on a good quality anti-sensitivity toothpaste. And if you are an unfortunate individual plagued with frequent teeth and gum problems, then you might want to go in for a high fluoride toothpaste. And on an expedition itself, the medic should make sure that they take the right kit. We have guidelines on what kit to take on the Wilderness Expedition Dentistry website. And also being proactive in making sure that the participants on an expedition do maintain a good oral hygiene. Because if they don't, then you are going to face the problems with it and, and would have to deal with that. So just being proactive in the dental therapy is a good idea. Because I suppose it's, it's always that temptation, you know, you've been on a long flight to, to wherever you're exhausted, you think, oh, can't be bothered to brush my teeth. If you don't, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter. And then if you're trekking, you're eating, your diet's changing, you, you know, you're eating lots of high sugar content and that, that combination, you don't really want to get a toothache when you're halfway up a mountain, do you? Absolutely. Yeah, your diet is very high in sugars because you want to get the maximum energy you can from your diet and essentially very bad in teeth. And also your frequency of exposure to sugars considerably increases on an expedition. So it's not the quantity which is that important. It's a frequency or sugar and acid exposure in a mouth which is relatively dry, especially on an altitude, which can cause havoc with the teeth and gums. Yes, absolutely. And um, so what sort of things are expedition medics or expedition dentists most likely to, to come across in the field on, on an expedition? I think the most likely I've seen, especially in the last year, uh, a huge increase in fractured teeth. So chipped teeth, fractured teeth, broken teeth, and of course, lost fillings. Um, and always the thing which has surprised me is what that they've taken a fully equipped medical kit and a very under-equipped dental kit with very poor quality stuff. And that mm. does cause its own issues and problems. So taking like, it, a dental kit doesn't have to be very heavy. You just, the one thing which I do recommend most of them nowadays to take is, besides cavit, which is your temporary restorative material. Oh yes, okay, yeah. Clove oil, which all the medics seem to love, but something new is a glass ionoma restorative. Daniel, you there? I'm here. No, I'm just I'm just listening. Ah, yeah, you know the glass. Making notes. Is essentially the glass ionoma restorative material. 
it is like an intraoral bandage. It's, it's a powder and a liquid which you mix together and sticks like glue on top of teeth and thus protects the teeth. So, so okay. you use yeah. that instead of the cavity, is it? Or uh, well? in, if, if there's a broken tooth which has a defect like a cave, a cavity will stay there very well and mm -hmm. will have sedative properties on a tooth. But if a tooth is chipped and there is no place to hold physically a restorative material like cavit, then you need something which sticks chemically to the tooth, which is your glass ionomer cement. Ah, uh, yes, I know that makes sense. Yeah, because otherwise the cavit would just fall off, wouldn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, and and what about sort of dental infections? Are, are people likely to see that sort of thing as well? They are, and they are also likely to see that in the local help or individuals who are taking part in the trek local to the area, like the porters in Nepal, the Sherpas, they will have a pretty high rate of getting oral infection. Um, people who smoke also will have a high rate of getting an oral infection. and But in that case, they already have antibiotics in their medical kit and those antibiotics work well for dental infections also though we do recommend that they nowadays take something known as corsodil gel with with them okay. and this gel is a uh, much easier to carry than the mouthwash version and much easier to use especially for gum infections yeah, a lot more compact as well isn't it that's true and it tends to leak otherwise yeah and going back to antibiotics you'd be thinking things like uh, coamoxiclav would you or or metronidazole yeah coamoxiclav is brilliant or amoxicillin and mixing amoxicillin with metronidazole metronidazole is a fantastic drug for gum infections and anaerobes and we find that that incredibly useful. So you use that with corsidal gel for gum infections and it works wonders. It's really good. And I suppose the thing that everyone worries about when they sort of, uh, well, some people look forward to it, but uh, it, it's kind of trauma, I suppose. And uh, obviously, I suppose one, a milder part of the trauma is having a slight chips to the teeth. Or what, what sort of thing? Do we need to do if you know if someone loses a tooth on, on an expedition and, and but they you know they've still recovered the, the tooth but um, a bit of a sticky situation? Exactly. Even in that case, you do require the glass ionoma restorative material because if a tooth is just chipped, you need to cover it so that you seal the porosity, the exposed porosity of the tooth to prevent its sucking infection into the structure of the tooth, causing the tooth to get infected. So you need to cover it with an intraoral bandage. And glass inoma is the only sticky stuff which can do that really well. If you don't have that, then you can just use a drop of surgical glue to just cover the porous chipped area of the tooth, prevent it getting infected. However, if somebody knocks a tooth out and you want to put it back into his or her mouth, then what we advocate is do it as soon as possible. And as you pushed it in, 
you can splint it with the adjacent teeth. And for a splint, you can use something as simple as a nasal clip of a face mask. You put it across the tooth and you hold it with the adjacent teeth using, again, glass ionoma filling material, which again sticks to the naughty tooth, which was knocked out, and then sticks to the adjacent teeth, holding the splint together and thus holding the tooth into its correct location. Yes, yeah, I remember doing that in one of your dental workshops. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, and then do you have uh, videos and pictures of this, of this on 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 your website as well? Yeah, we do have the like a pictorial essay of how to deal with a knocked out tooth. But in future, we plan to put short video clips of all the modules on so that people can understand it even better than just slight pictures. Sure. Well, that, no, that'd be really good. Um, and uh, I will put a link to, to those resources in the, uh, in the description for, for this episode as, as well. Cheers, Dan. Um, and I suppose there's, there's one thing that I'm, I'm really interested in finding out from you, and it was how, how it was working uh, in, in uh, the Antarctic. Oh, the Antarctic was a fantastic job. Um, I mean, when we, when, so I've been there for approximately three seasons, I think, and it was a remarkable job. So basically, we were given the remit of uh, teaching. So we had to teach the doctors who were going to cover the winterers there and give them an in-depth training of how to deal with dental emergencies, dental problems, how to do dental checkups. And then we had to do a preventive treatment analysis of the scientists who are going to go in for the winter, as well as treat those who are coming out at winter, after doing the winter there. But that only took 25% of the time the remaining time we spent in helping the most enthusiastic scientists in working on seals, penguins, um, working with the dredging system of the water. And it was remarkable. So we, we assisted them in sedating Weddell seals, sticking transponders on top of poor Weddell seals' heads, making oh, okay. poor little penguins puke and checking what they had eaten. And I, I, I had my logbook nicked by a very inquisitive Adelie penguin. So that was also uh, pretty remarkable. Uh, well, you, <laughs> were, you were trying to put its teeth out. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> and were there any uh, exciting um, things you saw from a dental point of view or were there any, any kind of major medical problems that, that were going on whilst you were in the Antarctic? We had to deal with a few extractions but what we did was we we allowed the doctors to work with us while doing the extraction. So they got the hang of how, if necessary, they had to do an extraction in winter, how would they manage it? And actually, one of them had to do an emergency extraction during winter, and she was incredibly good at it. So, yeah, it, it was like it was a good teaching session for everyone concerned. And, and was, what was the weather like? The weather was cold, but not that cold. It was like dry cold, which doesn't seem to penetrate as deep as a good old Leeds wet cold. 
Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. The uh, Antarctic is uh, is on my list, but you have to you have to dedicate eighteen months, don't you? I think if you if you go there as a as a doctor, which is uh, I wouldn't mind, but my wife says it's uh, it's a bit too long. <laughs> It'll be a fascinating eighteen months, which you won't forget. Yeah. Well, who who knows? Maybe maybe in in the future. Um, <laughs> Best of luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was looking uh, through. Um, through through your website, and it, it says that um, obviously you're you know you're heavily involved with WEM and um, some of the other diplomas as well. But it also said that you're are you now teaching at the international? Is it for NATO or something something similar? Yeah, like that? which is the special ops medics, which is yeah. in Germany in a place called Fullendorf, and uh, yeah, essentially we run a dental workshop and a facial trauma workshop and have been doing that for the last three years. And it's it's good and it's lovely. And they are really interested and keen in it. And they have an examination and assessment at the end. So they have to learn the things properly. And in uh, March, I'll probably be going to Hereford also to do a similar teaching session there for our SAS medics. And it's really great teaching them because it is a slightly different session because we have to concentrate a bit more on trauma also. But like all expedition medics, they're keen on learning how to deal with common dental problems, but they're also keen on learning how to reduce a dislocated jaw joint, how to reduce bleeding from a fractured lower jaw, how to reduce bleeding from the fractured upper jaw with the newer protocol they have. So it keeps us changing our um, teaching techniques to fit into their requirements, which keeps us active. Yeah, I guess you have to sort of slightly alter and, and, and fine-tune it. And, and you mentioned about about dislocated jaws. Um, I suppose if, if that did happen on a, on a trip, what, what could um, an expedition medic... Um, could do to try and sort that out apart from try and call for help <laughs> exactly that's the problem there is that you can't ring up a max fax and call the max fax across to give you a hand you might also not be able to give sedation in these cases so the faster you reduce obviously the better it is and then what i've discovered is that the recently the newer techniques which have come out, which is a syringe technique, the extraoral technique to reduce a dislocated jaw joint, definitely opens your choice of techniques to pop the lower jaw back into its place. So to be familiar with it is a good idea. To get the hang of it and practice it in a &E if you can is also a good idea. Because when you do have to do it, it's like you, you might have to put all your tricks together to pop it back in place. Yes, and um, and then is it this is where you then have to put a head bandage in to hold and secure the, yeah, the so, jaw in place. Is that right? Absolutely. So we have the traditional technique whereby you put your thumb inside the mouth and then you exert a slightly downwards and a backwards force and try to like get it past the articular eminence back into its location. But once the job is done, you've got to be careful to prevent it happening again, at least in the first 24 to 48 hours. And that's when 
it is advisable to tie a barrel bandage around the patient and put him or her on a liquid diet and some painkillers. So we do run a jaw dislocation workshop also, which is a part of our facial trauma workshop, whereby they practice on skulls, the different techniques in reducing a dislocated jaw joint, right from the traditional to the extraoral to what is now also another popular technique, which is a syringe technique to reduce a dislocated jaw joint. Okay. And um, have you got, you've got that on the website as well, have you, some, some pictures of that kind of thing? I know you've got um, – there's a lot of resources on there. I was having a look this afternoon. There's um, a whole bunch of videos um, and useful links as well. Um, and and um, it also has um, some use, useful stuff for, the, for pre-expedition screening, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So we got like it's a, essentially a copyright free resource, so anyone can use it, and that's the whole basis of it. It's for the medics to reinforce the learning which they've done. It gives them that idea or guidelines how to prevent getting dental problems, and that is where the pre-expedition dental checkup form comes into its play, because that's taken from the British Antarctic Survey guys. They use a similar sort of a form for which the uh, pre-expedition participants are encouraged to go to the dentist to have it filled up. And then, of course, we put the video tutorials also in. And yes, and uh, soon there will be an article in Adventure Medic written by us about jaw dislocation and what to do with a series of slides. And again, there will be another module strictly for that purpose on the website coming soon. No, that sounds excellent. And I look forward to uh, to reading that on, on Adventure Medic. Um, so it sounds like you're doing so many things. How do you have any time to be in Leeds? <laughs> no, I, I've, I've started dedicating like four hours a week strictly for wilderness expedition dentistry. And, uh-huh. and I work with Matt Edwards, who was also on the faculty. He co-writes the articles in Adventure Medic with me. And yeah, we got a good team in Wilderness Expedition Dentistry, which helps us get through all that. I think, yeah, good teams are always important sort of in every walk of life, aren't they? Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. So true. Yeah. And then so um, apart from what we've discussed, is there anything else exciting on the horizon for, um, for yourself or for the Expedition Dentistry Programme? Um, I think just basically concentrating this year on getting the video tutorials sorted out and putting them on the website because we've been invited often to other places to run this workshop, but we can't do that. I mean, our time is limited. So what we want to do is to encourage other dentists in other parts of the world to run such workshops for their medics. And if they have access to a copyright-free resource, then they essentially they can use our resources. It saves them a lot of time and they can kick ahead and start a dental workshop and run it as soon as possible. That way we can reduce the medivacs caused by dental issues all over. And that is our aim because everyone has requested us for video tutorials, which are not copyright restricted. And that is what we aim to do. That's fantastic. And I I guess it's also could be uh, really good for sort of um, resource poor or 
um, you know, low and middle income countries where I, I don't know the statistics, but I imagine per capita they don't have a huge amount of, of dentists. So, you know, training up rural health physicians or um, whoever starring, staffing sort of rural health centers, if they can sort of learn how to do some of these things as well, that could be really useful. Absolutely. So true. Yeah. I, I mean, they can easily adapt whatever stuff is there on our website to their needs and then 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 propagate it through their medical fraternity there. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I guess uh, probably coming coming towards the end now, but I've got I've got one more question for you. And then this is actually uh, my wife wanted me to ask you this question. And um, she says, uh, would you rather brush your teeth with no toothpaste or with no toothbrush? Brush your teeth with no toothpaste or with no toothbrush? That is such a good question. I would rather brush my teeth. If I had a choice, which I wish I didn't have, I would just use yeah. brush my teeth without toothpaste then because the physical activity of cleaning teeth is very very good but then you add the medicine into it to make it much better what about if you just put the toothpaste on, on your finger and did it like that would that work better or not really but if the debris is collected all around the teeth then your toothpaste uh, will not reach the place where it's supposed to reach and will not be as effective it is getting rid of the physical debris is in is quite important getting the red or rid of the physical debris well is even more important hence we recommend brushing and flossing which allows you to get rid of the debris even between the teeth so hence we say floss first which gets rid of the debris between the teeth then you brush which gets rid of the debris around the teeth so that your toothpaste can get into everywhere possible and then spit and don't rinse. Leave the toothpaste on your teeth. So no rinsing after brushing your teeth. Excellent advice. Well, there we go. I'll let, I'll let her know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a tricky question. I didn't really think over that one. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for, for joining me. It's always uh, it's always great to have have a chat with you. And um, I'll, I'll put some of the, some of the links about the things that we've discussed in in the in the description. And um, Yes, uh, we'll put, put the website and, and everything there. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you at some point in, in 2020. Cheers, Daniel. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. And good question from your wife. Compliment her from me. <laughs> Thanks. Take care now. Cheers. Take care. Bye. If you've enjoyed listening to our podcast, then check out our website, www.thewildernessmedic.com. If you're interested in being a guest on a future episode or writing a blog for us, then do get in touch and don't forget to follow us on social media. Until next time, take care.